I've got a little quiz for you this morning. One little question here. Can you guess how many wars there have been in the world since the time of Christ? In approximately the last 1900 years, can you guess how many wars there have been? Any ideas? Uh, <laughs> 14,557 wars is what historians tell us. Now, how did you get that? Oh, it's on the screen. Well, that's really good, Paul. Those are the kind of quizzes I like. 14,557 wars in the past 1900 years. That averages out to about seven wars every single year for 1900 years. That's amazing. Just since 1945, just since 1945, there have been over 70 full-blown wars and more than 200 internationally significant conflicts on planet Earth. I mean, think about that. After World War One, World War One was called the Great War, the war to end all wars. No one thought that the earth and the people of the world would engage in war again after that incredibly devastating war. And yet not too many years later, we were involved in World War Two. The entire planet engaged in this conflict of World War Two. And after World War Two, everyone thought, you know, when the dropping of the nuclear bomb, uh, surely that's the end of war form the United Nations. And yet just not even hardly five years later, we were in Korea and had the Korean conflict war after war after war. I, I took some time to just count the number of wars during my lifetime. And just during my lifetime, there have been 15 major wars. That's not including uh, all of the kind of minor skirmishes. And of course, the 14,557 doesn't count all the thousands of wars that took place before the time of Christ. You see, we live in a world that is characterized by conflict. And the reason we live in a world characterized by conflict is because we live in a world that's full of people. People are the cause of conflict and war. And because for whatever reason we can't work out our differences, we can't get along together, we end up engaged in conflicts. And sometimes those conflicts spread and just continue to spread until they become wars and embroil all kinds of people in those conflicts. If you have any doubts, all I have to do is just pick up your Sunday paper today and go home and read it. And you'll read about school shootings. You'll read about parents killing their children, children killing their parents. You'll find out about wives and husbands who are in living in open conflict. Oftentimes, husbands try to kill their wives and wives try to kill their husbands because of unresolved conflict in their marriage. All kinds of conflict around us. You think about how challenging it is just to live in your home, in your marriage, with your family, conflict-free. And then, of course, you multiply that exponentially and you see what kind of challenge we face when it comes to living as reconciled people and having reconciled relationships in this life. And yet the reality is... For us as Christ followers, it is possible. 
It is absolutely possible and within the realm of reality, biblically speaking, that we could live conflict free in our marriage, in our home, with our children, with our neighbors and co-workers. Amazingly enough, it is true, biblically, that even as the body of Christ here at Wyzetta, we could live conflict-free. Now, that doesn't mean we don't have any disagreements, that we don't have uh, differences of opinion, that we share and that we talk about, but we have the ability not to allow those conflicts to boil out of control until they become this kind of painful conflict that kind of makes your palms sweat and leaves you with that uneasy feeling in the pit of your stomach when that other person comes walking down the hall towards you. It is possible. But how can we do that? How exactly can we be people who live with reconciled relationships, who don't allow our differences and our opinions to, to so conflict that we end up fighting one another? How can we do that? Well, I want you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 11 through 22 this morning because that's exactly what Paul addresses to these Ephesian Christians. This was a very relevant issue for the Ephesians in Paul's day. And in chapter 2, verses 11 through 12, Paul wants to remind these Christians, these followers of Christ, of the steps that they need to take or can take to live with reconciled relationships with one another, with the community. And I want you to just follow along and listen to what Paul says. Now, this passage begins uh, with a very important word there. It says, therefore, in the beginning of verse 11. Whenever you see a therefore in the scripture, you've got to ask yourself, what's it there for? Well, it's there for a reason. And Paul is saying, because of everything I've told you in the first chapter... And the second chapter up to this point, because you're holy and blameless, because you've been adopted into God's family, because you're clothed in the righteousness of Christ, because of who you are now as a member of the body of Jesus Christ, what I'm going to share with you now is possible. He says, therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call them circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus You who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two. Thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near for through him. We both Jews and Gentiles have access to the father by one spirit. Consequently, You are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, 
built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. That's absolutely amazing to me that we are in the process of being built into a living temple in which God lives. God dwells by his spirit. It's amazing. But in this passage, Paul really shares three essential steps, three essential steps for achieving reconciliation in our lives and our relationships. And that includes our relationships here as the body of Christ, the church. Right here. And the first step that Paul gives in these verses is that we need to recognize our need for reconciliation. Now, for most of us, that doesn't become that's not, not much of a problem. We recognize we need reconciliation. But there are times when we need to be reminded that we're not always right. Our opinion isn't always the best opinion. And sometimes other people are right. Sometimes we're the cause of the problem. And so the first step in having reconciled relationships is just recognizing our need for reconciliation. And the reason Paul kind of starts here is because in this church in Ephesus, there were Christians now, but there were Christians who were formerly Jews and there were Christians who were Gentiles and they all came together in Christ. And now they're living together in this thing we call the church, not entirely dissimilar to the concept of Israelis and Palestinians coming together and living together in the same church. That's about the kind of hostility there was between the Jews and the Gentiles before Jesus brought them together. Not two groups of people that really cared to live together. And now they're living together in this new creation called the church. And so Paul, though, is reminding them of the need that they had for reconciliation. And I want you to uh, listen again what he says in verses 11 through 12. Because he says, even though things might be going okay now, you need to be reminded that things weren't always good and that they could go bad again. And you need to, to recognize you have a constant need for reconciliation. And Paul says this, therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised, by those who call themselves circumcised, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from the citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of promise without hope and without God in the world. Now, it's interesting here because Paul is talking to both the Jews and the Gentiles. The Jews, the the children of Israel, God had called as his people so that they might be a light to the world. So they might reflect his love and his mercy and his justice to, to the Gentiles and to the pagans. Well, through their own selfishness, their own pettiness, all of their own problems, just like all of us humans have. The Jews not only didn't serve as a light to the world. They ended up alienating the very people that God called them to reflect his love to. When it says that they were alienated here, it it, it means literally that the Gentiles were objects of, of wrath. They were objects of hostility to the Jews. In fact, 
The mention of circumcision and uncircumcision there, the Jews often called Gentiles uncircumcised dogs. That's how they felt about one another. That's how they referenced one another. When he says that you were separate from Christ, it means that you were without any relationship whatsoever to God. Separate, excluded, alienated, objects of hostility. Everything that could separate them, really, as Jews and Gentiles separated them. But then Jesus comes and begins to uh, demonstrate. He takes out of the way the barriers that divide these two groups of people. You see, the Jews and the Gentiles, just like us today, needed someone to reconcile them. And Jesus was the one who, who brought them together. You know, let me ask you as parents and as grandparents, and I want you to be really honest with me here. Have you ever experienced or known two small children to work out a conflict on their own? Have you ever experienced that or witnessed that? I'd like to interview you or uh, hear the story uh, of two young preschoolers, let's say, who were in conflict and they sat down and they reasoned it out together. Oh, you want my toy? Okay, I'll give you my toy. It just doesn't work that way. I mean, as a father of four children and my wife formerly ran a daycare, I'm very familiar with Young children in conflict. They are in constant need of help reconciling their relationships. Uh, in our family history, one particular incident still stands out in my mind when our kids were, were smaller. And, and our oldest son uh, came storming up the basement stairs, crying and screaming at the top of his lungs. And then Hillary uh, came running up after him, crying and shouting. And I said, what's the problem? I mean, it's like someone lost a limb or something, you know. And they said, Sammy beat us, Sammy hit us, blah, blah, blah. And I, well, Sammy's like two years old. How could he do that, you know? And, and so I go to the top of the stairs and there is Sammy standing at the bottom of the stairs with a baseball bat in his hands. You know, a little three year old, two and a half year old, whatever he was at that time. Well, evidently, according to them, Seth had a toy that Sammy wanted. Seth wouldn't give it to him. So Sammy picked up a baseball bat and just started beating Seth until he dropped the toy. Well, Hillary saw this and she wanted to jump in and reconcile the problem. But then Sammy started beating her, too. And so they both come running up. Mom, Dad, Sammy's beating us. You see, little kids like that, there comes a point in their conflict when they recognize they have a need for reconciliation. They need help. They can't do it themselves. And so they need mom and dad to intervene in the problem. You see, have you ever noticed that in your life, whether it's in your marriage, whether it's with a, a relationship with a co-worker, maybe it's even here at church, that you end up in some kind of conflict, some kind of difficult relationship that's painful, and you can't seem to settle it yourself, where do you go? How do you handle that? How do you then reconcile those relationships well, you see, Paul wants us to know that there is a place that we can go and that there is help for us as his followers. And he shares that in the next step. And that is we need to realize the source of reconciliation. Once we recognize we have a need for it on a constant basis, then Paul says, when you recognize it, where do you go to get it? How do you then reconcile those relationships? Well, look what Paul says here in verses 13 through 18. He says, but now in Christ Jesus, 
You who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Now listen to this. For he himself is our peace. Who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near for through him, we both have access to the father by one spirit. Paul says that the source of our reconciliation, the one that we can run to, is Jesus Christ himself. In fact, in verse 14, where it says, for he himself, that's a real phrase of emphasis. Because what Paul is saying there in the original is, is Christ and Christ alone. He himself and him alone is the source of our peace. See, the reality is this side of eternity in our humanity, we are destined to conflict and wars. It's only as Christ intervenes and we bring him into the situation that that we ever have the possibility of reconciling our relationships, our marriages, our families, our church life. When Jesus came, one of the names that he came under in Isaiah nine was what? The Prince of Peace. Jesus is the one who would bring peace into the world. In that time, one of the ways he did it between Jews and Gentiles in a very symbolic way was that Jesus removed the dividing wall, it says, between the Jews and the Gentiles. It symbolized their hostility and their conflict. You see, in the temple in Jerusalem, there was an outer wall that that separated the outer court from the inner courts where only Jews could go. And that was the outer court was called the court of the Gentiles. The Gentiles could come to the temple, but they could only stand outside. They could not go into the temple and participate in the worship or bring sacrifices to make sacrifice for their sin. They were excluded. They didn't have the commandments. They didn't have the law. They didn't have access to the temple, so they couldn't make sacrifice for their sin. They were totally excluded. But Jesus, by his death, tore down that dividing wall. Jesus came as the law in the commandments, and he fulfilled every last one of them for the Gentiles. Jesus came, and he was the sacrifice for the Gentiles. Jesus removed everything that separated them from one another and from God. And and that was that symbolic rending of the curtain in the temple, even the Holy of Holies, opening up that place, that access to God for both Jews and Gentiles. And Jesus's plan in doing that was to create one new humanity. In fact, if you look at Galatians chapter four, you don't have to turn there. I'll just read it to you. Galatians chapter three, actually, verse 26, it says, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. Now, listen, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, 
neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. That's Paul again. See, the reality for those of us who are in Christ, we are one new humanity. There should be nothing that divides us in our relationships with one another or our relationship with Christ. But you see, the problem is, is we don't always choose to live like Christ. The simple fact of the matter is, and that leads to so many of our conflicts, is we simply choose not to obey Christ and his commandments. You see, what did Jesus say? He said, you should love your enemies and pray for those who despitefully use you. Now, for us in America right now, that's a real problematic statement. We're supposed to love terrorists. We're supposed to love our enemies. Well, what did Jesus do? He loved the people that plucked out his beard and put a crown of thorn on his head. He loved the people that nailed the spikes into his wrist. And as he was fighting for his last breath, he said, Father, forgive them. Because they really don't know what they're doing. They're lost in their sin. They're separated from you. It's so easy for us to talk the Christian talk, but it's very, very challenging to walk the Christian walk. We've got to give ourselves to the control of the Holy Spirit so we can do those things that we couldn't ordinarily do in our own humanity. That is the purpose. That is the reason Christ died to make us new creations in Christ. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul says that we have been reconciled to God through Christ and we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. Reconciling others to God and ourselves to one another. That's what characterizes the body of Christ. That's what characterized the life of Christ was love and forgiveness and making peace. And it's so important. But we have got to recognize that Jesus is the only source, the only hope in resolving our conflicts. And so as a married couple, when we're fighting and when we're conflicting, I can guarantee you that one or both of the members of that, you know, marriage are not obeying Christ in some area of their lives. Just plain and simple. There are places where Paul says it would better it'd be better to be wronged than to continue to live in conflict and to take it on, let's say, to a court of law or something like Better to just be wronged and leave it to God who judges righteously in the long run. Well, that's hard for us to do, isn't it? We want our pound of flesh now. We want to be right now. And so it's very, very challenging, but it is possible if we're willing to obey Christ. You know, Jesus said in the Gospels, he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord? If you don't do what I say, how can you call me Lord, Lord, and not keep my commandments, not obey the things that I've told you to obey? Let me tell you, there's one thing that would have such a profound impact on our world and our community. If we as the church of Christ could just live in peace with one another. If we could just live in harmony as the church, it would literally revolutionize the world. 
Absolutely. In fact, Jesus said, that's how the world is going to know that I came and that I'm the son of God is because we will live in unity with one another. Does that mean we're clones of one another? No. Does it mean we don't have differences of opinion? No. Does it mean we always agree on everything and just kind of march in lockstep? Absolutely not. But what it means is we can agree with one another, we can talk openly about our disagreement, and then we can agree to love one another in spite of a difference of opinion. That's important for this church right now because you're entering into a season that we call the interim period of selecting a senior pastor. Now, my guess is there's a lot of people out here that have ideas of what that senior pastor should look like and be like and preach like and shepherd like. Am I right? Does anyone have kind of a picture in their mind of the perfect pastor for Wyzetta? Well, guess what? Two rows back, the person sitting three pews behind, they don't see that same picture. They might actually see the exact opposite picture that you see of the pastor for Wyzetta. You see, it's a situation that could be rife for conflict and disagreement and misunderstandings and hurt feelings. Unless we're walking in the spirit, unless we're obeying Christ and following him, he himself is our peace. And when we obey him and live like him, it goes a long way towards reconciling our conflicts and our relationships. You know, one of the conflicts that was just a conflict that really engaged the whole world was the apartheid of South Africa. You probably remember that. Apartheid ruled in South Africa for like 57, 60 years or so. Do you realize that apartheid was born in a Christian seminary in South Africa by Christians? You realize that? That that whole doctrine, that whole way of life was created by Christians. And it was instituted and it became a very, very ugly kind of situation. And anyone who disagreed with it, all of the repressed people in South Africa, mostly black people or people of color, were imprisoned. Some of them were beaten. Some of them were killed. One of them was Nelson Mandela. And because he was protesting against this unjust system, he was thrown into a prison on Robbins Island. And he stayed in this prison for 27 years. Just because he said this is unjust, this is wrong, and they were fighting against that. Finally, about 1990, 91, he was released from prison. And everyone was nervous because they thought Nelson Mandela would again get the African National Congress together and they would start actively fighting and and maybe even go to war now against the Afrikaans government. But instead, he came out of prison and he forgave. He said, I want to express my forgiveness of everyone who's done anything against me. I refuse to retaliate in any way. It was an amazing display of 27 years in prison unjustly. Most of his adult life and he comes out and he forgives. And it literally people there say it literally changed the environment. The, the atmosphere seemed to just change. And there was this spirit of reconciliation that came in. And within a matter of years, apartheid was gone. Well, I was in South Africa earlier this summer. I was listening to the radio 
And on the radio and in the papers, they covered this incredible account of one of the former ministers of apartheid who was a government official during that period of time, became so convicted by the role he played in that, that he went to the present government minister in his position. This man was now in his 70s, and he went to this present uh, minister who was a black man, and he was a white man, and he opened up his Bible and he read these verses. He read these verses to that, that man. He said, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the father who sent me. And that man, that 70 some year old man asked for that person's forgiveness as kind of you know, symbolic of all the people he'd wronged. And then he got down on his knees and begged for the privilege of washing this man's feet. And say, I want to obey Christ for so many years I didn't. This was covered in newspapers on the front page. On, it, it was remarkable that this man would go and read the scripture and then say, I want to wash your feet as an act of forgiveness and repentance. Man, when people act like Jesus, it just takes the wind you know, out of people. They, they don't know how to deal with it. But Jesus himself is able to do that as we obey him. But finally, there's a third step. And that is, we need to understand, we need to understand um, the results of reconciliation. The results of reconciliation. Look at verses 19 through 22. He says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. That word household there, the household of God, it means to live in intimacy, to live in that kind of intimate family kind of relationship. We are the household of God. Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone of this family, of this edifice we call the church, that God now wants to indwell by His Spirit. I'm going to make a real bold statement here that you might disagree with, but that's okay because I'll know you'll still love me. And that is, it is never, never, ever, ever okay to live with unresolved conflict in the church of Jesus Christ. Open animosity is never okay in the body of Christ. It's okay to have differences and not to resolve those opinions, but to still love one another during the difference and in the midst of the difference. But to be at odds with another believer, to be angry and bitter and hostile and unforgiving, it is never, ever, ever under any circumstances okay to live that way in the body of Jesus Christ. We are called to forgive and to forgive and to forgive and to forgive and to forgive infinitely because Christ has forgiven us of an infinite debt that we could never pay. And now we are called to follow in his footsteps. Jesus, before he died, as he was praying to the Father, this is what he prayed for us. He said, 
Father, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved me even as you have loved them. Do you want to know why the world doesn't really believe that Jesus Christ came and that he was who he said he was? One of the reasons I'm convinced is because we're not living like the church that God designed. We're not necessarily being the body of Christ, because if we were, we'd have to beat people away from here with a stick. Because our world is so characterized by conflict and pain and hurt that they would just flood a place of reconciliation and love and acceptance and forgiveness and mercy where people were given the benefit of the doubt instead of always being second-guessed and ill motives attributed to something that they've done. As the church, one of our primary evangelistic tools is living in peace, living in unity with one another so that we can reflect the love of God to the world. Let me just share some action steps this week. The first action step is this. Are you presently engaged in any kind of conflict? Marriage? With your children? A fellow believer? A co-worker? A neighbor? Uh, are you engaged in any kind of conflict? The first step to living in reconciliation is just admitting and recognizing your need for reconciliation. Just take some time this week to just monitor and, and kind of survey your life. And maybe write that down, that person or that issue or whatever it is. Secondly, a second step, take some time to reflect on whether you are truly submitting yourself to Christ in the midst of the conflict. Are you truly obeying Christ in every way you know how in the midst of that conflict? Are you doing what Jesus has told you to do in that conflict? Are you obeying his word and following his example? And then thirdly, Take some time to reflect this week on what it means to you that we are all one body in Christ. Take some time to really think about what does it mean that Jesus created one new humanity in Christ? How is that supposed to feel? What's it supposed to be like to feel a part of that kind of supernatural entity? Take some time this week to just reflect on who we are in Christ and how we're called to live in reconciled relationships because of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, this is a, one of the probably most challenging aspects for all of us who love you and want to serve you. Father, we're all human. We all have our selfish streaks. And yet, Father, you came in the person of Christ to tear down the walls that divide us. To help us live in humility. To follow in your footsteps. Father, I pray that we would be the people you have recreated us in Christ to be. So that we might be an accurate reflection to the world of who you are. That they might truly begin to believe that Jesus Christ did come to earth. And was and is who he said he was. Father, make that so in our lives. Make that so here at Wyzetta Evangelical Free Church. Make us a place 
of unity and love. In Christ's name, amen.